Good afternoon, and welcome to How Moving to Cloud Analytics and EMPI Allows for a More Effective COVID-19 Response, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Verado. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO, and I will be your moderator today. We're looking forward to some audience participation. Of course, send us your questions and comments in the Q&A box. You can send those in at any time, and we'll take them later in the program. And we'll also do a little quick poll later in the event. Just a little few tips on how to get your screen looking good. Um, up at the top of the screen, you'll see some view options. Click on side-by-side -side mode. Then you can adjust the divider to make the uh, video screens bigger and you, uh, you want to be seeing speaker view in the top right-hand corner. That'll give you the view that I've got down there in the screenshot. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, we're going to go about 35, 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Jeremy Gersh, VP of IT with the Greater Rochester IPA, also known as GRIPA, which we will refer to it as, Dr. Jeffrey Allen, Chief Medical Officer with GRIPA, and Jennifer Briggs, Chief Operating and Financial Officer with GRIPA. So without further delay, we're going to jump right into our conversation. Uh, Jennifer, let's start with you. Can you give us an overview of the organization and your role there? Absolutely. So thanks for having us here today, Anthony. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to this. So I've been with GRIPA since 2002 and have served in a, in a variety of finance roles during that time and stepped into the chief operating and financial officer role uh, a little over a year ago. And it's really been incredible to me to see how the healthcare landscape has changed since I originally started in GRIPA in 2002 when the focus really was on capitation and moving that to today where we're really starting to embrace value-based care and moving to the forefront um, of healthcare reform. Um, a little bit about GRIPA, let me tell you about that. So GRIPA is Greater Rochester Independent Practice Association. We're located in Rochester, New York, and we're affiliated with Rochester Regional Health, which is a five hospital health system that serves the entire continuum of care and, and, and healthcare needs of our communities across Western New York and the Finger Lakes. GRIPA is also co-owned by Rochester Regional Physician Organization, which is a group of over 1,300 physicians um, who are most closely aligned with Rochester Regional Health. And it's a group of both private physicians, community-based private physicians, as well as physicians who are employed by Rochester Regional Health, all coming together under GRIPA to focus on our initiatives. So it's really, it's really that unique structure of bringing together a large healthcare health system along with those physicians that puts GRIPA into the position that we're in today, which is managing nearly 300,000 lives in some sort of value-based care or risk arrangement. Very good, Jennifer. Uh, thank you. Uh, Jeffrey? Uh, so um, my name's Jeff Allen. I've uh, been a practicing uh, internist uh, for 30 years in the Rochester community, um, trained here as well. Um, and I've also have a subspecialty in hospice and palliative medication, uh, medicine. Um, I've been with GRIPA only for six months now uh, as the role of chief medical officer and um, have had uh, the opportunity to be um, immersed in the COVID-19 response uh, that our health system and our organization has had to um, mount 
uh, in this very new uh, clinical practice environment. Trial by fire, right? Yeah. Quite the welcome. Um, Jeremy. Yeah, my name is Jeremy Gersh. Um, I joined Grip about a little over a year ago. Prior to that, I was at a, a Blues plan where I ran the data and platforms and integration team. Here at Grippa, I'm really managing um, over 100 data uh, files and, and, and points of reference that we integrate to then provide to the physicians um, for reporting purposes and other things. So it's a lot of data integration, um, which we'll talk about the person part. All right, very good. Next question is for you, Jeremy. Um, as you say, you started about a year and a half ago. Talk about the patient matching situation, the impetus for change, and how you decided about your new direction, and talk about some of the business drivers that led you to reassess things. So take us take us from there. You come in, you're taking a look around. What, what are you seeing around patient matching? Like, uh, I think any leader does, right? You, you spend your first 90 days looking at everything from the people, the process, the technology. And one thing that really struck a chord with me was we had a technology we were using for patient matching that was really antiquated. It was heavily customizable based on rules from 15 plus years ago. And as we're looking and talking about how we provide data to all of these physicians, it was apparent to me, especially having over 100 different uh data files from all different insurers and providers and labs, um, the importance of matching a person was, was critical to not only our success, the provider's ability to care as well. Um, the other thing is traditionally, a lot of these tools use your own data. We also had a person that was over half of her time spending monthly trying to manually match stuff the tool couldn't do. Um, so as we started looking around, we wanted more robust data to make sure that we could round out who a person is. As they're looking uh, a little bit, um, we got onto Verado and did a proof of concept with them. And, and over literally a week, the match rate increased. The, the matches that we were getting was substantial. And then watching this person go from four some thousand tasks a month to approximately 400 just within a week was pretty impressive because that person could then go off and do more meaningful things, right? The providers were talking about an individual instead of potentially two people that were really the same. Um, the, the funny part is everyone's like, oh, you did this to go to the cloud. And that happened to be a benefit, right? That happened to be the speed of implementation for us. We're not a huge company. We don't have a ton of engineers. Um, but that piece of it was sort of an added benefit. It was really, how do we do this better to make sure our population is who they say they are and the physicians can manage it more accordingly. Just uh, curious, Jeremy, when, you know, when an IT professional is looking around at, at different positions, how much do you want to know the technology you're getting into? Like, how much do you ask? How much do you find out? And what are you looking for, either in terms of support you think you'll get, budget, or just the pure things that are there? I mean, what could scare you away? Yeah, so I think when I was at a larger organization, you had a lot more people to help with a lot of those questions, right? And you had a much more formal budget. Um, being in a smaller um, office, I was looking at maintenance of business, the cost to maintenance of business, right? Like, again, I said earlier, our, our previous vendor was charging us a lot of money for customizations that either were antiquated or no longer needed. So the big piece of it for me was speed to delivery, how much energy and effort would we have to deal with maintenance over the long term? And then how long was this going to take to implement? Because again, the budget, you know, again, we're a smaller organization. It's not like I can go 
pull Jen and say, I need $10 billion to go do something, right? So we'd be, we'd be very mindful of those dollars. And then on a long-term basis, we're owned by a large hospital system. We also talked about what their plan was to maybe see how they would look at this because some of their data feeds us too. So the technology was more of, again, maintenance costs, how much would it be to implement it? And then how many people really needed to maintain that versus if we can get a couple people like the, the previous person I said, spending half their time on the real patient care, that was all of what we were sort of looking for. And I think at this size organization, that's how we approached it. Um, and, and I think my hands were in a lot more than at my previous. My previous, again, I, like I said, I would have had four or five people helping from finance mm -hmm. to technology to architects to, you know, solution architects, enterprise architects. Well, here it was really a smaller group, which made this a much more rewarding experience, I think, end to end. So, Jen, you're not, not cutting them random checks for $10 million. That's not part of the plan? Uh, no, that was not part of the plan. So thankfully, <laughs> we didn't go that route. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Excellent. Um, Jeffrey, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about, you know, obviously incorrect patient matching has to be bad for, for the clinical impact on patients. Um, can you go into your thoughts a little bit more as a, as a caregiver about the problems that that can cause? Uh, sure. Um, <clears throat> uh, a few things, actually, a few ways to to look at this. Uh, certainly, obviously, if um, if you have uh, if you're if the data that you have on a patient's clinical care, uh, for example, um, what a, whether it, it's lab data or imaging data, um, uh, uh, best practice data, if, if if that data does not sync up with the the corresponding patient that is that you're being measured on as a clinician uh, that creates a, a significant amount of um, uh, uh, problems certainly uh, we spend a great deal of time at Grippa trying to focus on um, quality uh, quality of care but also quality metrics and and we measure physicians um, uh, practice uh, patterns based on a number of quality measures which we we vet out very carefully, and if the if the if this data does not match the patients that each that a clinician is seeing in their office, uh, uh, then that can certainly uh, lead to uh, certainly poor trust and, and lack of confidence in what what our I'll use the term product what what we are what our product mm -hmm. is for them or what we're what we're uh, working on for them and trying to measure them. Measurement also it tends to lead to to money, right? Because uh, these days. Uh, quality and performance is linked to financial income. So uh, we are we are ever so conscious of having the the data be appropriate for the patient, which is then you know ultimately linked to the physician's performance. Um, and and we also measure other things. Uh, for instance, we use best practice information, which again is critical to have the data link up with the or be attributable to the, the appropriate. The right patients. So if we don't if we don't do this correctly, um, uh, this this information wastes. Then then you you end up wasting not only time for clinicians, money, uh, but also you you lose the uh, the credibility that you that we that rely on that are that is relied on for our organization. Our we are very highly our IT department and um, is is incredibly precise and we. We are a source for information for other members of our community as well. 
So these value-based agreements that we have uh, can severely be affected if we have incorrect patient matching. Um, I also want to say one thing um, about COVID and COVID-19. As any clinician knows, or even the community knows, uh, the, the change from in-person, in-office visits to uh, telemedicine platforms has been huge and also extremely rapid. Um, we've gone from perhaps 10 to 15% penetration of telemedicine to 50 to 70% telemedicine in a matter of weeks. Uh, and so that also presents another layer of, um, of complication, if you will, another, another layer, layer of, um, of, of, of um, complexity, which is, is also uh, necessitated the importance of having uh, adequate uh, patient matching um, and, and, and appropriate attribution. So there's two levels to the, the patient matching. It's, it's the patient safety. I mean, there, you could make an error and you could cause some damage to someone. Um, and then there's the other, the other, the data level of the reporting and the physicians trusting the data because that's how they're getting paid and participating in ACOs. So it's, it's two, two sides, correct? Is that what you would say? Exactly. Yeah. All right. Very good. Um, so the physician adoption of, of IT, um, Jennifer, maybe you want to touch on this. Um, I mean, have you been in conversations with physicians when about, they, the first thing they want to do is question the data. If they don't like the data, they're going to question the data. They're gonna, you're going to pay me less. This isn't right. You know, so can you go through some of that? And I guess what we're trying to touch on is the importance of getting it right and the effects of getting it wrong and the downstream effects of the business, the trust with the physicians, and you could become a place they don't want to work, right? If you say, I'm not going to pay you what you think you should get, and they're questioning your data, I can't work here. How can I work here? So you want to take yeah. me through that a little? Yeah, that's, a, that's an absolutely great question because that is the downstream effect. Uh, as we focus on quality metrics and different initiatives within our value-based care agreements, and we're giving information to our physicians, if they find an error with, within patient, patient matching or really anything else, all of a sudden they don't want to rely on the reporting that you're providing to them. You know, they, 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 they remember that one mistake forever. And so mm -hmm. making sure that the reporting that we're giving them is identifying patients correctly, the ones that really do have the gaps in care that are appropriate, that we've identified it appropriately so that they can rely on that to then reach out to those patients. And honestly, the same thing goes with our care managers, uh, um, with our care management team who's outreaching to patients and coming alongside of our providers. We want to make sure that the, our analytics are matching and using that data in a very credible way so that they know the full story within that patient and have matched it appropriately and are reaching out to those who really are most in need of that, of that outreach and engaging with them. Um, and I think that's why it's so important that it's credible, that our reports are, are, are reliable and that physicians and our care managers can feel confident in using the information and how they, and how they do their care. Jeremy, do you have um, much direct interaction with the physicians? Do you get unhappy physicians calling you directly about certain things? How do you deal with that? So I really get all my information from Jen and Dr. Allen, right? So I serve, mm -hmm. they're my business customer, right? So I serve the information up to them. Um, I think one of the beauties was switching from our old platform to this one is, is the noise has been heavily reduced. 
Um, I, I think when you're using more information than just your own, and keep in mind, like I said, we have a hundred data sources coming in. We don't own any any of that data, right? Insurance companies do, hospitals do, labs do, um, independent physicians do, which they don't have a huge IT budget sometimes. So we're getting a lot of information in a format that then we have to work with and live with, right? So this solution helped us. I, I don't know what the noise was before. Jen might have to talk a little bit about that, but but this really put us in a position of we're, we're down to a couple dozen manual tasks, maybe a month that we have to look at. And usually it's an under 18 person, right? Because the beauty of Verado is it's a lot of public information. So younger generation, under 18, there's not a lot of that information. So that's really where the work comes in a little bit. But again, when you're going from 4,000 manual tasks a month to less than a couple dozen, you know, I, I don't hear much. Um, if that helps answer. Yeah. Yeah, um, Jeffrey, as as the chief medical officer, so you've got, and there is no CMIO, correct, at at Gripa? Not at, not, at, not at our organization. So so you, you've got Jeremy, who's the head of IT, and you're the chief medical officer. Sometimes you have a CMIO who bridges that gap, but it sounds like you two work together very well. So the the complaints come to you. You probably have a good understanding of technology. And then you go back to Jeremy and maybe get some more information. But essentially, you you have to fill the CMIO CMIO role, or the two of you together kind of fill the CMIO role. How would you describe that? Here at Grippa, I think it's it is a team approach. It's I think you're looking at the three folks that handle those those questions. We also have we have a very um, uh, a, a team of um, of uh, leadership as well as uh, management that. Uh, are very diverse in their responsibilities and are able to, you know, we are able to respond to uh, queries or problems which crop up in any of our uh, data reporting or, or patient matching uh, um, uh, situations. I want to also say we have, uh, you know, in our provider relations teams and our care management team, uh, we have uh, folks who have been with the, our organization for 20 years plus and they know they know all the providers in town. They know how to handle uh, the, the, almost any question that comes in from specific practices. With these new platforms of uh, these new software, or, um, these new um, uh, platforms that we're using that, that our IT team has uh, developed and also um, put into place, uh, there is a great deal of, um, of uh, communication which occurs between all of us. We, we meet, well, almost daily. And discuss any issues that are gone. If we if we if a problem comes up in the interim, we just we're 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 easy. It's easy to have a, a spur of the moment uh, call. Even with this new environment um, uh, that COVID has put us into with uh, with our Zoom mm -hmm. meeting. Yeah, we'll go into that more. Um, Jennifer, did did you know there was an issue here or something that was not quite satisfactory before Jeremy came on? Did the business side say, no, there was, were the doctors complaining about something? Or did Jeremy really just come in, take a look at things and say, this could be better? Did he bring it to you or was this an issue that was brought to him? You know, he, re he really brought that to me. Um, you know, we've been using the same vendor for so long. And honestly, I mm -hmm. think we had kind of just gotten in our, in our normal line of business and that's just what we do. And that, and that having a person dedicated half time to doing patient resolution, we honestly thought was probably the norm. 
and we thought that that was just a standard and, and something that we needed to be able to maintain and build into our business model. And it really wasn't until Jeremy brought Verado forward as a potential option and we started looking into it that we realized that we would be able to take that half FTE and re reallocate that resource toward other meaningful work within our care management area instead of <laughs> spending so much time on that manual patient resolution piece. So um, it, it was really Jeremy that brought it to us and, and helped us evaluate it. Well, kudos to you, Jeremy. And I think that this is, no, I think this is seriously a good lesson for anyone on the line who listens about what IT leadership should be doing, right? IT leadership should not just be waiting to be told what to do. Uh, IT leadership should look at the situation and bring improvements to the business side, right, Jeremy? Maybe you want to just give me your philosophy around that a little more. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think if we, sort of a double-edged sword a little bit, it also made my life easier. I had, I had someone on staff who had to manage and care and feed to make sure the customizations that we had were also working. It wasn't half time, but it was still a portion of their job, right? I, I think at the end of the day, though, our business is patient care. So whatever tools or technologies out there that might be within our reach, either financially or technically or, or whatever we could do, I, I think it's all of our due diligence at Grippa to sort of look at, mm -hmm. right? And and we sort of bring it to the table and, and to Dr. Allen's point, we're pretty much a, a good group thinkers. Um, so we'll get together and throw some ideas around. And what we're also very fortunate at doing is a lot of proof of concepts, right? It's again, let's do that quick, not necessarily like a skunk works type thing, but let's rapidly, quickly see if this will impact us. And then let's look at the cost. And I think to Jen's point, we've had this vendor for so long, we never really talked about cost. And the cost kept going up and the technology sort of was lagging. So we ended up, I think, going cheaper for better. You know what I mean? If that helps too. So then I could spend Very more money on other things. There you go. You know, don't cut his budget, Jen. Okay. He saved this money, but it goes to him. <laughs> uh -huh. Very good. I'll see if I can remember that. Okay. Very good. All right, Jennifer. Um, the financial mm -hmm. impact, we talked a little bit about this of incorrect patient matching. I want to talk about that a little more. Um, and then a little bit more about your value-based, your, you know, your interest in value-based care and why it's so important to get this right if you're going to go down that road. Yeah, exactly. So in my world, I think everything boils down to dollars. No matter what initiative you take on um, or what program you're putting in place, everything comes down to dollars in terms of what is it going to cost you to implement it, and then what benefit financially or are you going to get out of whatever you're putting in. And so I always evaluate and look at it from a financial perspective. So same thing with patient matching. I mean, there's, there, there is a financial impact. So I, we've already talked about the, the FTE that we had and the reduction that we had in that. That was a financial component. But then there's, it's really more the downstream impact that I see where the financial piece comes in. It it's, goes back to that credibility of data that as we take forward initiatives in our value-based care um, agreements and ask our physicians to work on these and ask our uh, care managers to work on those, that we're giving them information that they can rely on knowing that the patients have been matched correctly. Um, you know, I don't think that our providers even know how much work it takes behind the scenes to combine the data that Jeremy was talking about from those hundred different data sources and putting that all together and the technology that it takes in order to be able to know that, that a patient who comes in on, 
on one, two, three data feed really matches that same patient who came in over on the other side and being able to merge those correctly. And I, I'm glad that our providers don't even have to think about the fact that that's behind the scenes because Grippa's doing that for them. But the outcome of that then is information that they can rely on, that they can act on um, within our within our value-based care agreements. Um, one, I think one of the, the biggest focuses we have right now is in the area of pharmacy because it's such a rapidly um, expensive area. The budget just keeps going up and up and up related to pharmacy. So within GRIPA, we've developed our own application. It's called Caretegra. And it's something that we use internally with our providers in order to be able to identify wasteful prescribing, um, avoid adverse drug events as well as identify places where there are lower cost alternatives for the patient instead of a higher cost medication. And all of these are over and above what you would typically see in a prior auth or a step therapy um, implementation tool. So we're able to identify those. But behind the scenes of that is making sure that we're telling the whole story for each one of those patients and that we're aligning them correctly to know where those opportunities are and that you're not missing a piece of their puzzle um, when you're presenting that information then to a provider to take action on. And that's extremely important. Very good. Thank you, Jennifer. <clears throat> Dr. Allen, let's, uh, let's start with you on this. Uh, let's talk about how, you mentioned this a little bit, how COVID-19 has impacted your organization and community. So how hard did you get hit? Where are you in terms of working through that peak and, and all that? Um, and then how the EMPI helped you sort of get through this. Um, I'm going to ask Jen to help me with the latter half of that uh, uh, question, but I'll, I'd like to take on the beginning. Um, sure. Overall, um, uh, we've, we've all been forced to uh, adapt to a kind of a new way of life professionally, personally. Um, medical practice settings, as many of you know, have really undergone a revolutionary change. Uh, a couple months ago, um, who would have even predicted that we would be using uh, telemedicine platforms to the degree that we're using them now? Um, and it's now largely the primary interface we're finding with patients. Uh, we also have uh, developed new dashboards for COVID-19. Uh, we have had to struggle with uh, personal protective equipment and how to find that for, you know, one of the things that Grippa has done is we've become a a clearinghouse or a, a, I, I call it a finding house. We've had to secure uh, PPE for many of the practices in our community, especially the, the folks that are in the private practice. We've developed new collaborations. Uh, one, if there's a silver lining uh, with uh, the COVID-19 is that we've, we've really restructured and strengthened our collaborations with health systems in the community, with other ACOs in the community, with our medical societies, Lots, much more dialogue has been going on uh, throughout the community because of, of this uh, epidemic. Um, addition, uh, additionally, we've, um, we've all become very familiar with this, this mode of um, communication, Zoom, mm -hmm. Skype, whatever, even with patients. Very, very new, and we've had to adapt not only GRIPA and uh, our institution, but also doctor's offices and hospitals uh, have had really had to react and and um, and learn a new way of of doing their business of taking care of patients. Um, one of the things that certainly you've seen is the uh, decline in visits with physicians' offices. 
uh, hospital visits have decreased, emergency department visits have decreased, and therefore workforce has decreased. And, you know, GRIP is not immune to that. Uh, I think everyone has developed, uh, has had to, to work through uh, workforce changes uh, since uh, revenue changes have occurred, um, revenue streams have changed. So, um, you know, this financial impact has been very significant across all areas of medical of medical care, including our organization as well. Communication to our providers, as I said, has increased these new strategies of, of communication. We are daily communicating with the providers in our health system with emails. We, we're responding the every, every mode, phone, um, per, in-person visits. We've been very um, you know, proactive with trying to keep the communication and support to the private uh, and, and employed physicians in our community. Um, and you know, as you've all watched very closely, the surge and the flattening of the curve, we're all curve, we're all so familiar with that. I think we've all been part of that. All of this has helped to be part of that um, that response. And and I think in a very, hopefully in a positive way, we've been, we've we've had an effect on that. Uh, as far as Jennifer, the, oh, go yes. ahead. Sorry, I'm, I'm good. Jennifer, anything you want to talk about regarding uh, some of the tools we, we've been talking about here and how they might have helped you respond to the crisis? Yeah, yeah. From an analytics perspective, things changed dramatically overnight. You know, we went from just being focused on a very core set of quality measures that we were asking our providers to look at to very quickly having to change our focus and say, okay, how can we come alongside of our providers and help them help equip equip them with information and our care management team to come alongside them to help manage these COVID positive patients. So overnight, we're changing analytics to identify who's being tested for COVID, who's positive for COVID. Are they getting outreach from our care management staff and being able to prioritize who they should reach out to who is most high risk, um, especially during these quarantine periods. I think that is where we've seen the biggest um, change is that, you know, if someone is at home now and um, they, they may not have the supports in place to make sure that they're still getting their medications or if they had a family member who was coming and helping take care of them, that might not be in place during that time period. And so we've really come alongside those patients and being able to help them through this very difficult time and making sure that our providers are working hand in hand with all of that care. Jeremy, anything you want to touch on there? I think Dr. Allen and Jen did a great job. I think it's perfect. All right. Very good. All right. Next question. Uh, Jennifer, let's start with you on this. Can you speak to the general importance of data reliability and adaptability, especially during a pro public health crisis? Anything else you want to add on that point? No. I mean, I think what I, what I said before, it goes all back to that. We, ha we have to trust the data that we're using in order to even be able to act on it. It's key. All right. Very good. All right. What's the relationship, Jennifer, between moving to the cloud for the solution and your desire to get deeper into value-based care? And does the cloud offer you cost or speed opportunities? Yeah. Well, to me, value-based care, is it's all about the patient. It's continuing to provide the right care in the right setting at the right time. And using a cloud-based solution for our, our patient matching needs is really just a tool to help get us there. It, it, it has allowed us to move through it very quickly. It's allowed us to take off the, the resources that we have would have allocated toward the maintenance of something that was on site and allowed us to then focus our efforts on our different initiatives within our value-based care, um, especially in the areas of pharmacy that I talked about. 
um, and care management of making sure that we're, we're allocating resources there. So it's given us a, another tool in our belt to be able to progress down that path. All right, very good. Next question, uh, Jeremy, what are the benefits of moving to the cloud? And, and Jennifer used this phrase before about moving quickly. Um, and we use the term pivot quickly in terms of what it, it allows organizations to do. Uh, and what does that mean, practically speaking, from an IT point of view? So I, this was a first for me. Um, I, I, I tout this a lot, and Verado and I, we, we talk about it. We went from our old solution to theirs, full up and running in production in less than 53 calendar days, right? Mm -hmm. wow. Very rarely do you see something move at that speed. I think there was a huge dedication on our side technically and on the business to make things better. I think the, the other piece with the Verado, it's not just the cloud, right? It's, it's their access to information, their model. So traditionally, if we had an on-prem solution, like I said earlier, our previous vendor kept charging us to customize. Verado's model, as they get more and more data, is just getting better and better and better every day, right? And we do nothing, right? We keep serving up our information. They're gonna continue to match. So when they solve the under 18 population or get better at it, we organically get to be better without more money, without more costs, without more technical overhead, and honestly, without much business involvement, right? So for this, one of the reasons for the quick pivot on this one was when we told our previous vendor that we were moving to another solution, they're like, well, you're done on September 30th. It's being shut off September 30th at midnight. You better go. It, it was a risk because we didn't have a ton of time because we made the decision after everything, probably mid-July, I mean, we got this thing up and, and working. And I think going to the cloud for a mid-size or a smaller-sized company is great, right? They do a lot of the heavy lift. There's no software. There's no hardware. And again, we're on AWS. They have more security certifications than anybody at this point, right? It scales, and, and the performance is literally amazing. We did a, a million records, I think, in a 24-hour period to do our initial uh, base load you know what I mean? Where our current vendor, if we gave them more than 10 or 15,000 records, it, it was, it was an issue. Right. And we get full claims load, full membership loads every month from a lot of different health insurance companies and others. So going to this direction allowed us to go much faster and it's getting better every day and we're not really doing anything. Yeah. So we're going to shut you off at midnight is a little bit of a stressful situation. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like very un unpleasant. Yeah. I guess so that's I, the I way it goes, right? Correct. Yeah. Go ahead. Anything you want to add there? No, I, I just think it's it's I don't want to say it's this performing and doing what it needs to with someone else's problem because we're still responsible, but it's nice to know mm -hmm. that there is a lot of robust technology that has a lot of security that is performant that we also Again, part of the solution is we have a couple architects and a couple other developers that we can call in that's an extension of who we are. And Verado's been a wonderful partner. I mean, they've really helped us achieve the things that we've needed to do. Dr. Allen, have you, have you sort of, I mean, what are your thoughts on speed here? Uh, speed of getting things done. You know, you're the one that's very customer facing, you and Jennifer. Um, physicians have been known to be impatient. So, you know, you like to get things done quickly. Um, 
And the cloud, you know, moving to cloud, as Jeremy said, allows you to be quicker and to get things done faster. So do you have any thoughts around that and being in terms of how it helps you be responsive to your customers? Well, it should be, in, you know, from a clinical perspective, it should be invisible. We should ask for it and it should be, the data should be there and um, it should be correct. Uh, and that's where um, this Jeremy and his team have really, uh, I think, um, provided an answer uh, to what our, clin our uh, the clinical providers in our community require. Because um, as you know, uh, physicians uh, and their staff are, they bore down on information pretty specifically. And, you know, if you are giving them data that doesn't correlate with what they think they're doing in terms of quality measures or cost-saving measures, uh, if your data, if you don't have the data for them immediately so they can act on it right away, uh, that breeds impatience, distrust of the, your organization, and certainly uh, lack of cooperation with many of the initiation initiatives that we're trying to employ. So um, uh, having accurate uh, and uh, accurate uh, data, which is easy to reproduce and uh, provide in an uh, efficient, quick manner, is critical to our to our um, uh, to, to having confidence in our organization. Very good. All right. Oh, one, go ahead, Jennifer. I one, go ahead. I would add one thing onto that. Um, allowing the quick the quick turnaround on that really helped us avoid a. a tragedy in moving from one vendor to the other because it was done so quickly and all behind the scenes. Our providers really were not even aware that we were making this change and that was what made it successful is that their information continued to flow seamlessly to them without any interruption and that was definitely a success. Great audience question for you, Jennifer. Uh, you mentioned that your decisions are made based on the financial impact. Can you share in more detail what that means? When you look at an ROI, what are your expectations and do you have a minimum requirement? So any other color you can give around that, that thought process there? Yeah. So especially as it related to this decision, I mean, obviously the cost of implementation fed into that of the comparing what we were paying our previous vendor over several, several years versus what we were paying for the new Verado solution over the, that same period and comparing that. But it was really the downstream effect that I felt like we had to evaluate the most. So if it improved the quality of our, of our reporting that we were giving to our providers, which would then increase alignment and allowing our physicians to depend more heavily on our reporting because they had a greater trust in that, that was really where the value came in within our value-based care agreements. So within, within those agreements, we obviously have a lot of quality focus. But there are a lot of cost savings uh, components that we that we get our providers to work on. And so if um, on the pharmacy side, if, if they are trusting the information that is in there and acting on it, and that leads to substantial cost savings within our value based care agreements that are quantifiable, then I can I can have a downstream effect on our financial on our financials simply from their adoption of that information. And that was really the key to us was being able to see that downstream effect of how our providers were using our information and relying on it and increasing their usage of our of our information. Very good. Uh, Jeremy, audience question for you. Uh, you as you identified an issue with patient matching, how did you transition this to assure it wasn't just a quote unquote IT initiative? Yeah, I think that's to, to Jen's point. We talked about it end to end, right? We talked about 
one, knowing how fast we had to do this, we, we wanted to make sure what is the impact to the matching of a of what a person was doing? What is the impact to the reports? Are we going to have to change our unique identifier? And, and what does that mean? And all of those pieces we sort of mapped out in the first couple of days and said, here's all the touch points. Here's all the people that are involved with them. Let's get them in every meeting. So um, the, the person that was doing the manual matcher, their manager, Jen, they were in all of the technical meetings along with us. When we pivoted to the business, the technical team was in all of those meetings, right? So we really were one, even though I didn't understand some of the pieces they were talking about, they may kind of understood ours, but the reason we got to do it so quickly is everyone was part of all those discussions. And the questions I think that anyone rose really highlighted, oh, this is something else we have to think about or do. And it made it much more robust from an implementation perspective. Um, I think the biggest challenge was um, the speed, right? We were forced to do something much faster than I think we wanted to. It was successful. The testing was paramount. Um, the, the beauty is, is because that solution in the cloud is so quick to respond. So we were going from a, a batch system every night where, again, if there was a manual match, that person or that match might not happen for four or five days to literally sending something up and getting it back in immediacy. So our ability to see the things that we are trying to do technically very quickly came back and said, oh, okay, this is working, this is not. This is where, again, a lot of people on the technical side, we went from an integer-based um, patient ID in the database to a hexadecimal, which is a huge change. All of the reporting relied on that integer-based um, person ID, right? All of those things we knew early enough to start building and pivoting. So when we got to the end and tested enough, to, to Jen's point, no one even knew we did that, right? Um, the, the person most impacted was the one half time doing the manual match. She, she got to go do something, again, more clinically facing and, and, and important. And I think that's, that's the beauty of all of this. I think we spent a lot of time before we even said go, which wasn't even that much time, but to, to really map out where do we think all these issues will be, business, technology, let's all stay together, hold hands until we get this thing done. And and honestly, Verado was there too. They were in every one of our meetings. They didn't have to be in all of them. They were probably one of the better partners I've ever had to deal with in any type of implementation. Well, high praise indeed. Um, Dr. Allen, you're so physicians have been somewhat reluctant to embrace telemedicine. Some physicians have been reluctant to embrace it. That has all changed, as you said, uh, remarkably, as no one could have imagined. And and I've heard from other CIOs that physicians who wanted to do nothing to do with it are, are now clamoring for it. But, you know, hey, roll this out, roll this out. I wonder if you think that this will uh, indicate a larger change in terms of how physicians embrace technology overall. So now going forward, not only want telemedicine, but anything that the organization proposes may be better received than it would have been beforehand. What are your thoughts around that? That's a really good question, uh, Anthony. Um, uh, as you said, uh, we've, we've all had to quickly embrace uh, this new method of, of what I say, quote, seeing patients. Uh, by necessity, and that was that was largely driven uh, by both a disease people patients did not want to come to the office, still don't, and also uh, by finance, uh, because in order to um, to effectively maintain some sort of a revenue stream and seeing patients, they had to adapt. Patients and physicians have had to adapt. Um, going forward, uh, this this is not going to leave as you 
as most people have probably realized uh, that uh, this is not a, um, a one and done situation. These many of these changes will stick with us permanently. Uh, I think the use of telemedicine will be a, a very uh, significant part of how we practice medicine going forward. Um, as far as um, enlisting trust in, uh, in platforms, um, I will say initially, as I was part of many, much of the, uh, uh, the, the, the uh, health center, uh, health systems organization when we were adapting to this, it was initial frustration, there still is some, and um, question of whether this was going to be viable for each practice. Now, um, I don't hear those concerns anymore as much as how can I climb on board and make this right. a way of, of life for me and my patients. So I think from, for the most part, uh, folks have realized that this is a change they, nece- they, have, to t- they have to necessarily make. Um, and and they, are, they, they are, I think, more or less embracing how that is going to uh, be part of their practice. Very good. All right, we're going to launch our little poll here, a little one-question poll. Uh, moving IT infrastructure to the cloud should be a top priority for healthcare providers. So just give us your thoughts on that. Uh, I'm going to go to a final question before we look at the poll result. Um, I'd like each of you to offer a key challenge to the people on the line today and the people that will listen to this event. What do you challenge them to go back to their health systems or IPAs? So whatever healthcare type of organization they're coming from as pertains to our discussion today, Jennifer, let's put you right on the spot because this is a tough one and let's have you go first. I think, I think my first reaction would be, don't be afraid to evaluate your options. I think that was where we were, is that we had been using the same vendor uh, for our patient matching for such a long time that we really assumed that that was the status quo and that it, our options were, were really pretty limited. So don't be afraid to evaluate your options and see what's out there. All right, very good. Dr. Allen? Um, I think if uh, clinicians, providers need to, to be aware that IT is uh, critical to maintaining their um, uh, their quality, the infrastructure of their quality, and I would encourage them to uh, to to grab onto that and, and to tr- you know hope trust their um, uh, the sources, especially with new um, new platforms like Verado, which really are very reliable. Jeremy, I'd say try it. I mean, all the Verado let us do a proof of concept, right? Like if you're on the fence of something prove to the naysayers or to yourself that this is potentially a right decision, right move. I mean, after that proof of concept, if we didn't believe in this or the results, we would have maybe done something else. But I think a lot of software companies, especially to your early point about cloud, they're easy to do at different scales. So if you want to try something, I think ask the question. I mean, we tried with close to 60,000 members, right? It wasn't a tiny proof of concept and it didn't take long to really prove out that we want to invest long-term in this solution, which helped. All right, Jeremy, I'm gonna have you guess at the uh, poll results here, because this is a little fun thing I do. So what do you think is the answer to this poll? What do you think the results are? Give me the percentage, percentage agree. What do you think the percentages who agree with that? 
92%. Well, you know, you're pretty close, relatively speaking, 83%. So there's 17% disagree with that, but you still win. We give you a win. We haven't decided on the prize yet, but that'll be coming shortly. Carnival Can you expect game. that? Perfect. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well done. So 83%. Very good. All right. Well, that is about all we had time for today. What an excellent conversation, bringing a lot of great information to our audience. For those of you who need a certificate of attendance for a CEU program, you can use the final slide in this deck. Uh, you'll get an email when the on-demand recording of this event is ready. If you want to sponsor an upcoming event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team, and you can register on our site for any of our other upcoming events. With that, I want to very much thank our panel, uh, Jeremy Gersh, Dr. Jeffrey Allen, and Jennifer Briggs, uh, for taking time away from the office. We don't know who's running the office right now, but we assume someone is. But thank you guys very much. Uh, and I want to thank our sponsor, Verado, uh, for making this discussion possible. And I want to thank our attendees for continuing to attend our events. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you.